1: We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support.
2: The Jewish Hour can now be heard on jcastnetwork.org, your portal to Jewish broadcasting. It's also on iTunes and on your smartphone using the Stitcher app. Are Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We've got a great show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we will be interviewing David Fishman. He is a professor of history and has come out recently with a book, The Book Smugglers, Partisans, Poets, and the Race to Save Jewish Treasures from the Nazis, the True Story of the Paper Brigade of Vilna. This is actually a very exciting book. We're going to talk to them the ins and outs, the who, what, where, whens, and whys, and how. In the second half of the hour, we'll be discussing a little bit about the portion of the week, which is Va'era, which can be found in Genesis 6 and, excuse me, uh, Exodus 6 and following. We've got a wonderful assortment of music today. Uh, One request came in. Yeah, we do do requests if you have a request or something you'd like to hear. Drop me a line at rabbifinman.com we'll try to find it for you and play it, you betcha. An absolutely awesome Hasidic story at the end concerning the passing of the first Lubavitcher Rebbe whose site is observed this Friday. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> Israeli lawmakers approved a bill that would make it harder to cede parts of Jerusalem in a future peace deal. 80 votes would be needed to give any part of Jerusalem to the Palestinians instead of 61, which is what it is currently now. So now they need 80. Hamas continued to fire rockets from Gaza into southern Israel. Five rockets were shot this week. Israeli tanks destroyed several Hamas positions in Gaza. Palestinian teen, believed to be carrying a gun, was shot and killed by Israeli soldiers in a riot in the West Bank. The teen was among 30 Palestinians throwing rocks at Israeli troops. Soldiers opened fire after they saw the teen holding what appeared to be a gun. Israel said it uncovered an Iranian spy ring in the West Bank that was planning to carry out terror attacks and was collecting intelligence for Iran. The Israeli security agency, known as the Shin Bet, said that the group was recruited and financed by an Iranian operative in South Africa. For current and other news around the world, four current and former flight attendants filed suit against Delta Airlines, alleging that the airline's management has an anti-Jewish attitude. Don't you say they said an anti-Jewish, not anti-Semitic, but anti-Jewish attitude. The lawsuit was filed in U.S. District Court in Westchester, New York. All the plaintiffs worked on the airline's New York to Tel Aviv route. 27-year-old clay stamp from the first temple period inscribed in ancient Hebrew was unearthed in the Western Wall Plaza in Jerusalem. It's one of the things the Arabs are so up in arms. You know, you're digging around our, our mosque. In the meantime, we're finding things that are predate Islam by about yeah, 2,000 years. The stamp mentions the name of a Judean govern, governor mentioned in the book of Kings. Another proof that, yeah, we were there. Bible's true, 100%. And finally, the population of Israel is 8,793,000, 75% of which are Jews. 180,000 babies were born in Israel, and 27,000 new immigrants arrived in Israel over the course of the year 2017. And that's the news. Some of the best jobs in the world are in the radio and television industry, and you too can join the workforce in as little as eight months when you complete your hands-on training at the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts located in Southfield, Michigan. At Spex Howard School, students get to play and learn at the same time. Imagine spending your class time behind the microphone spinning music and hosting your own radio show, or designing and lighting a set for your own TV program, running a camera, learning to edit, directing a program. When you go to Specs, your day will be anything but dull. And if school is this fun, imagine how exciting it is to work in the growing industry. In addition, the credits you earn while attending Spex Howard School are currently accepted at 14 area colleges and universities. If you've always wanted the best job in the world, call for a tour of Spex Howard School at 248-358-9000. That's 248-358-9000 and visit them on the web at specshoward.edu spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts. This is where you start. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish hour. We have online Professor David Fishman, who's a professor of history at the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York. He just came out with a book, The Book Smugglers: Partisans Poets and the Race to Save Jewish Treasures from the Nazis: The True Story of Paper Brigade of Vilna. How are you, David? Fine.
3: Thank you, Rabbi And Looking forward to our conversation.
2: Oh, the pleasure will be all mine, I know for sure, just even by looking at the book. Okay, so there have been various treatises and even movies about the Nazis plundering. We had them uh, plundering art, they them plundering music, plundering valuables. Here it is now, we have another another twist on things, that yes, they were even plundering books. Now, we do know that books can be worth something. We had two weeks ago, we had a lady on from Sotheby's who was talking about a book from the 1420s, which went for auction, which is now part of the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art's collection. So we know there are valuable books, but what's what's the deal over here with this and what the Nazis were trying to do in Vilna, David Fisherman?
3: Uh, Well, the story is even more surprising than that that because the Nazis were plundering Jewish books written in Yiddish and Hebrew and in other languages. But the Nazis had a special interest in plundering Judaica uh, because they had created a whole field of anti-Semitic Jewish studies of their own called Judenforschung, and this so-called science of the study of the Jews would legitimize would, um, and would justify, you know, their persecution of the Jews and eventually their, you know, genocide against the Jews. So it was science in the service of Nazism. But if they wanted to have such a field, they needed, they knew they needed Jewish books, and they also knew that Vilna had great Jewish collections, and uh, that's how this story gets started. They wanted to plunder. The best stuff for their
2: fantastic uh, scholars. Let me let me just jump in over here. So, but there were other major centers: Warsaw, Kowno, um, what do you call it? Lublin. That were also major centers. Were there other such uh, depositories and and uh, set up set up through the the Nazi conquered territories, David?
3: Yes, the Nazis did similar did this kind of work. Really. Um, just about all across Europe, not even Eastern, only Eastern Europe, but uh, they stole Jewish libraries from Amsterdam and from Paris, and even in Greece, from Salonika. Um But they, when it came to Eastern Europe, they knew that, uh, because they'd actually studied this before um, invading uh, Eastern Europe, that the greatest Jewish library collection were in Vilna, um, the YIVO, the Yiddish Scientific Institute, the Stratum Library, the Jewish Community Library. Um, the, the, town had, the city had a very strong tradition of learning, of printing, of collecting, and the Nazis uh, knew it.
2: Mm-hmm. It was after Vilna was called the Jerusalem of Lithuania, was it not? That's right. Okay, so now, so... Uh, so t- tell us, how is it that the Nazis began perpetrating this, this uh, I guess we call uh, it, crime against humanity?
3: Uh, well, the paradox is, they knew they wanted these books, but they didn't have enough staff, the Nazis, to send you know, people fluent in Hebrew and in Yiddish, Nazis fluent in Hebrew and Yiddish, to Vilna, at, let alone you know, to all these other places, to Amsterdam, to Paris, to Salonika. So in Vilna... They had to hire Jews as slave laborers to sort the material, and that is to decide what should be sent to Germany, because it was important and valuable, and uh, and what to destroy, because that's what the Nazis came up with, basically a quota of 30% can be sent to Germany and 70% will be destroyed. And they hired—they hired, I keep using that term, but it's really not the right term. They they took a group of Jewish intellectuals, one who was full of intellectuals, and that is educators, scholars, writers, artists, uh, librarians, and they forced them to do this, um, this very difficult job of selecting— You know, what should be sent to Germany and what should be destroyed. And of course, these are all book lovers, these Jewish slave laborers, and it it pains them the the sight of seeing mountains of Jewish books uh, being sent to their destruction. And of course, they come up with a plan that they must um, save as much as they can, um, they must hide as much as they can.
2: From 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 the Nazis. Okay, so let's let's talk about the thirty percent. There's that there, there's a lot. Of, like you said, there's a lot of books in Vilna at this time. So thirty percent of the books which they considered to be worthwhile in keeping was a massive amount of material that probably filled up many train card loads. What happened with all that? With all those materials? Um.
3: That material was sent to Germany. Most of it ended up in Frankfurt, where there was um, an institute for the investigation of the Jewish question. Um, luckily, at the end of the war, Frankfurt was in the American zone of uh, occupied Germany. The American military discovered the books at the uh, Institute for the Investigation of the Jewish Question and uh, the books that, brought, that were from Vilna were sent to the YIVO Institute, uh, which had relocated during the war from Vilna to New York. Uh, and the YIVO New York was recognized as the heir of YIVO Vilna, and more generally the heir to Jewish libraries from Vilna. This was a refugee institution from Vilna. So that ended up actually paradoxically uh, having a happy ending. Those those 30 percent after the war were found and sent to the United States.
2: As uh-huh. much of that stuff in the Jewish Theological Library then now? Uh, Excuse me. Is much of, are much is much of that material now in the JTS library? To Um, such
3: an extent, there are similar materials, not the Vilna materials, but there are similar uh, Nazi looted books that ended up in Germany that are in all major Judaica libraries in the world, including JTS, including the Hebrew University. not the film, the villain material went to Yivo, but other looted Jewish books where the, where the ownership could not be determined. Uh, because what they found in Germany were a million and a half Jewish books. A million and a half Jewish books.
2: That, that's a lot of stuff. Representing
3: the culture and civilization of European Jewry. And many of them you could not... Um, identify who the owners had been before the war, and even if you you could, the organization was defunct. You weren't going to return it to the city where there were no Jews, and that material was distributed um, to major Jewish libraries like the Hebrew University, like the Jewish Theological Seminary, and many others um, also by the Americans.
2: Okay. So which is which is that's fascinating in and of itself that, that story. Okay, so let's go back. So now we have 40 individuals who are now trying to save. So if let's say we have a million and a half books is the 30% if I can do my math correctly which at this time of the morning now I have I can't. to correct
3: because a million and a half is from all of Europe.
2: Uh-huh. Okay. But in
3: Milner, we are talking about
2: you're still talking you know, about four or five million books.
3: 100,000, maybe 150,000 books.
2: That came, that went to Germany. So that's going to mean that there's somewhere around 800,000 or so volumes that are earmarked in Vilna to be destroyed. Right. So that's a lot of paper to move. And uh, so what what was the plan? Um.
3: M- m- Actually, the plan was either just incineration, and there were incineration sites, uh, you know, furnaces, and some of it was sent for recycling. There were, since paper was in demand and not in easy supply during the war, you could, you know, uh, basically melt the paper down into a pulp and then create new paper out of it. And... Uh, Again, there, there were it was Jewish laborers. or were uh, technical workers who did all the lugging, you know, packing in boxes, loading it up, um, so that it was sent to these uh, either incinerators or recycling centers.
2: Mm, okay. So, did these? Or if you're just joining us, our guest today is Professor David Fishman. Who has written a book called *The Book Smugglers* about the Nazis trying to uh, steal every Jewish thing that was worth anything in Europe? In this case, we're talking about books. So, now was did you discover in your your research a criteria as to what these forty people deemed it's worth smuggling? Because there's probably there's a lot of lot of things that got printed, which. If they were made into into remade into into pulp paper, I personally probably would not have objected and would probably say oh, oh that it's a it 's a pity on the trees that were cut down to print that but so what what was what was the uh, the criteria what were they looking for because the really good stuff that 's already sent out of town, so now we 're talking about tier two stuff." Mm-hmm. Um
3: well, often they could prevent the really good stuff from actually even getting to germany um so th- because they're doing the sorting themselves, you know what should be sent to Germany, what should be uh sent to destruction so it's at that moment where they can even you know hide something uh I should just add, the Germans were not present every minute they uh and they were not in every room. and there were, So there were opportunities for them to hide stuff at the work site. Um, as for the criteria, you know, the, the the top criteria is opportunity. In other words, the, the right moment to hide something. Uh, they had a very broad vision. In other words, uh, they saved both religious literature and secular Yiddish and Hebrew literature obviously they tried to save one copy of books in other words sometimes 10 or 15 copies of the same book would pass through their hands they, they, they didn't there was no need to save 15 copies so that was the basic criteria one copy of a, of an item uh, i should add they not only saved books but there were a lot of documents manuscripts Um, archives, so a lot of, even Torah scrolls, um, so it's a very diverse amount of kind of material. And I should add, they rescued even non-Jewish material, because the Germans started using this worksite to process uh, not only Jewish books, but also Russian and Polish books, because they realize they have a uh, very uh, capable, intelligent, skilled slave labor, labor force. So a lot of non Jewish material passed through the group's hands, and they rescued that as well. So I would, to answer your question, say they had a very broad vision um, of, uh, of what to say.
2: Amazing. I'm actually fascinated by all this, David Fishman. So now the the Nazis Mokshumam, were very systematic. They had controls over everything. People basically couldn't breathe unless they were told you could breathe. Uh, as you write in the book that if they were caught going back into the Vilna Ghetto with a potato, it, they were shot on the spot with no questions asked. So you're talking books, Torah scrolls. These are things that take up a lot of space. You can't just kind of, like, say, uh, stick one in your pocket. So how did how did they smuggle this stuff out?
3: Um, first of all, you're right. The main way they smuggled was by taking stuff into the ghetto. The work site was outside of the ghetto, and they had to get it through the gate into the ghetto. Smaller stuff you could put on your body. Uh, that only in a pocket, but literally under your pants, uh, around your waist, on uh, even uh, little things, you know, in your boots and your shoes. They were loaded up under their clothing. And uh, everything depended on who would guard the gate. If there weren't Germans there, the inspection at the gate would be um, relatively light. They had other ways to rescue material other than literally on their bodies, They did give materials to non-Jewish friends. Um, Non-Jewish friends could visit them during the lunch hour. The Germans went away for the lunch hour, and you'd have uh, non-Jewish friends who would come. They'd give things to non-Jews who held it. And finally, on rare occasions, and this took special efforts, you could even get, with help from others in the ghetto, you could get a vehicle. A truck that was, for instance, going to enter the ghetto to remove snow, or enter the ghetto to bring in official food rations, you could steal the larger items either inside or underneath the truck. So they had a lot of um, devices on how to, um, how to smuggle in material.
2: Okay, so now, so now they have this material. It is no longer in Nazi hands. Pretty much at this time, people realized that the existence of the Vilna, uh, Vilna Ghetto is not going to be permanent. And so there's no point in, like, hiding the stuff under their beds. So what what were they doing with these materials that they... Well, they're
3: never got? hiding it under their bed. The, the biggest thing they're doing is they have a bunker. They have several underground bunkers, uh, some of them... One of them especially very deep underground, 100 feet underground, with um, electricity, uh, with ventilation. And it was actually used by the um, ghetto resistance, the uh, underground fighters who were planning to have an uprising. Um, They, the fighters, stored arms there. And this group stored books there side by side. Amazing.
2: Amazing. Hopefully, hoping that someday they would be uh, recovered. So when did—again, if you're just joining us, our guest today is Hello. Professor David Fishman, is a historian, wrote a book called The Book Smugglers, Partisans, Poets, and the Race to Save Jewish Treasures from the Nazis. A true story. What reads this? This book, which is a, uh, which goes in the nonfiction section, reads like any good spy book. It's just really very compelling writing. I must say about this, this is one yeah, I
3: do have to keep reminding people this is nonfiction.
2: Yeah, it's this is like how
3: this. This could, it, think what a great novel. Said, yes. no, 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 this is not a novel. This is history.
2: Very compelling. It was like one of these. Things, just well, how does it end? How does it end? Ah, you know. It's like I kept on wanting to say, it. well, let me just read the last chapter. No, I'm not gonna. To do that uh, it, was, it was it was it was that's a, it was a wonderfully wonderfully read this is not a uh an academic work of uh you know literacy prose no this, was, this is a great book uh so when did people so the the, the lithuanian Jewry is decimated the actually the number of people that are alive today who can say that a hundred years ago my grandfather lived in lithuania is very small. So the the Vilna as a major center of Judaism now, there are a thousand Jews living in Vilna, 2,000 Jews that live in Vilna. There's not a whole lot of Judaism per se in Vilna. What happened with all of this material that they hid? Is it still in hiding? Is there some way that they can, you can't hide, I have to hide where I hid it, you know, so.
3: Um, Well, some of the members of this uh, work brigade, slave laborers, some of them survived. Most did not survive. But uh, a few did, especially these two Yiddish poets, uh, Abraham Sutzkever and Schmecker Kacherdinsky, and they returned. They, they come back, um, the survivors in this group, and they come back only to find the books. Uh, not to find whatever relatives or property uh, they know everybody's gone and they don't care about having an apartment back. They go to dig up the books and they develop a whole operation of volunteers. You know, some with shovels and some with their bare hands retrieving, and they get they retrieve an enormous amount of material. They create a Jewish museum and. Uh, in Vilna. This is all happening in the summer of 1944. The war is still waging that Vilna has been liberated. And um, so the material was in this Jewish museum. But these poets quickly realized that, this, that Vilna is now part of the Soviet Union. And literally within months, the Soviet bureaucracy starts to strangle the museum.
2: Uh-huh. So we're talking about out of the out of the frying pan into the fire over here.
3: Exactly, it's something they never imagined that. And they, after, uh, first of all, the KGB gives them orders: you're not allowed to show the books to anybody. This must go through censorship. Um, Some of the books that were in the courtyard of this museum, there was no space for them in the building, so they're out in the courtyard, were taken away and sent to their destruction by the Soviets, right? So, uh, And that's when these poets realize the books are in danger again. We have to rescue whatever we can. And that's the second rescue is to smuggle the books out of the Soviet Union across the border to Poland. And uh, so the the end story is some of this material was smuggled out in suitcases and uh, many suitcases and eventually reached both the United States and Israel. Uh, Much of the material remained in Soviet Vilna and eventually the Soviets closed that museum and that material was not available to anybody uh, for the next uh, 40 years, from 1949 to 1989. Basically, nobody knew about the fate of those books seized by the Soviets.
2: Okay, so then what happened in 1989 then, David?
3: Oh, nineteen eighty. 1980s, well, in the late 1980s, you know, there's... Glasnost
2: and with, perestroika, with yes.
3: Right, uh, Glasnost, perestroika, and a lot more openness. And word reached uh, Yibo, New York, that their books, their books, their, their library, their archive, parts of it, are still in Vilnius, as it's called, in Lithuanian Vilnius, Lithuania, and um, uh, Evo began efforts to retrieve um, its collections. Um, now, those books are still in Lithuania, um, but there's an agreement between Evo and the Lithuanians to uh, to digitize everything, to
2: put it online. Uh, it's sort of literally like the same sorry to talk over you, but it's sort of like the same thing that's going on with like the Schneerson library and the Yuvo library is as the Russians have it. They're not giving it up. It's now a Russian treasure as they call it. But we'll let you look at it.
3: Uh, right. This it's quite similar though, one step better because not only are you able to look at it, but literally every single page will be available on the Internet, and that's actually good in certain ways, because there are manuscripts and documents where some of the pages are in New York uh, at Eva, and some of the pages are in Lithuania, right? Can you imagine that? A single document, some of it stayed behind, and some of it was smuggled out or was sent out. So with this digitization, you'll be able to reintegrate, you know, to have the full manuscript, both the parts from New York and Lithuania. But bottom line, you're right. The Lithuanians don't want to give it up, and this was a compromise that was reached.
2: Hmm. Okay. and So is Ivo happy with this compromise? I mean, there's other people, other organizations that have books, and there's not all 100% Ivo stuff.
3: Um that's right there's other other books of all kinds um, i I personally let me speak on my own behalf because I don't represent evo here um, less than happy with this, less than happy. I understand that for scholars, you know a digital copy uh is as good as the original, maybe even better because the quality of you what know, the ability to zoom in for scholars, it's the same, maybe even better but This is not only a scholarly thing. Uh, We have to remember, people risked their lives to rescue these books. And they didn't risk their lives so that the Jewish world would have a digital copy. They risked their lives so that this material would be returned, restored to the Jewish people. So, you know, I wish the ending was even better, but... The ending isn't a bad ending. At least this material has survived thanks to the heroism of, of these people. And at least now it will be available and accessible.
2: Are Are there still findings, like, troves around the city of Vilna?
3: Um, yes. Uh, a trove was found in the Lithuanian National Library literally last year, this uh, this last summer. I went to Vilnius, this is after I finished my book, my book was already in press, and I get an email from Yivo that they just found more material, would I go to Vilnius to look it over? Um, And it's an enormous uh, trove, not not books, but uh, all of it, um, historical documents and uh, manuscripts, and I'm sure there's more somewhere, um, either underground or who knows where.
2: Okay. So, of course, with the way the Americans work, in any of the stuff that you've seen or that which has been cataloged, is there anything like really eye-popping, like things that this might be the only existent copy of?
3: Oh, many such things. For me, the most touching thing was um, this poet who was in the, say, labor debate, Sutzkever. then you consider him the greatest Yiddish poet of the 20th century. He wrote poetry in the Vilna ghetto, and he later published those poems, basically based on memory. He remembered his poems that he wrote in the ghetto, and they become quite famous in the work, uh, and they are fantastic poems. Uh, in this latest trove, we found the original manuscripts of his ghetto poems written. In 1942, in 1943, we never had that before. And it's a wow. single manuscript, a single manuscript. And it's, of course, a testimony, as is this whole story, to Jewish spiritual resistance in the Holocaust. Writing poetry and exquisite poetry in the ghetto, um, what 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 kind of a, uh, resources, energy, and faith do you have to have to do that?
2: Okay, let's make a, a proposition. We're going to end off with this because the time is running out. This is very fast. I could spend the whole hour on this, but let's say that the uh, the book smugglers is made into a movie, and as movie companies and producers are want to do, is they want to make sequels. So we leave off at the end of the the movie with just like this, like question, this paradox, this conundrum. Is is there anything like that now with the the book smugglers, David Fishman?
3: <laughs> now you're asking me to do what I didn't want to do, which is, you know, I wrote the history. Now you're asking me to uh, predict the future. Imagine how I would make a sequel from the from the history. I'm not sure I can 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 do that. For me, if there's an unresolved, I and maybe it's not a fully unresolved, but it's partially an unresolved question. Um, but it is to me why the the Germans, who did this looting and destruction, were never brought to justice. And I follow that in the book. And none of them, you know, this is a crime. This is a crime, destroying the uh, people's culture, just as uh, it's happening now in Iraq and in Afghanistan. When you destroy temples, and the books are Jews' temples, you know you're just and uh none of them were um were punished so that's for me the conundrum why the allies didn't pursue them
2: okay are any of them still alive
3: no no i not followed all point. of them by they're now they, they were adults of course the germans sent there so they're not alive anymore it's too late to punish them
2: Right. Understood. Okay, we're going to leave it at that. Again, our guest has been David Fishman. He's a professor of history at the Jewish Theological Seminary. Written a book called "The Book Smugglers: Partisans, Poets, and the Race to Save Jewish Treasures from the Nazis: The True Story of the Paper Brigades of Vilna." It is a uh, quite a fine, quite a fine book. It is not a novel, but it reads better than than one. I'm waiting. Um, Are you in discussion with, say, Spielberg to turn this into a movie, and uh, how soon will that be, Dave? Uh,
3: Not at the moment, but, you know, I'll wait. I'll wait. uh, And waiting for the
2: phone to ring. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been fascinating and, and really wonderful. Okay. Thank you very much. Take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. You are listening to The Jewish Hour. Let's get right to some music. This is a song which was originally produced 10 years ago. It's a song. It's called Unity, and it is composed uh, by Mordechai Ben David, sung by a cast of probably, I guess, 100 musicians at the time. And it was to show our solidarity with Shalom Raboshkin, who was at that time Being pursued by the federal government for crimes against humanity, you should pardon the expression, for all kinds of horrible things that he was done, and he was actually thrown in jail for 27 years and was released just about three weeks ago. And so they came out with the updated Unity version of Unity, and so that's what we're playing right now. Like
1: angels in the sky, in a garden full of glory, the galaxy so brilliantly related, Ultimately, high on the first page of our story till the time parents were created. Envious brother came through a blow so mad and chilling. Tragically, we never did recover. Ooh, it's really so insane. All our selfishness that's killing the strangers our sister and our brother so listen brother listen friend just a little smile a helping hand and we all You lift him up with you now And fly him home with justice, pride and freedom Oh his eyes are gazing wide From behind the bars he prays now With faith, with joy Oh how we wait to greet him Pages rushing by Writing chapters for love, sorrow of self-destruction we are weaving if we don't even try there's no hope for our tomorrow so what's it all worth if we are not achieving
2: assurance of quality and excellence in kosher look for the michigan k on the label what's it look like the lower peninsula of michigan with a k it's the symbol of the michigan kosher supervisors go to their website michosup.com. that's mi for michigan ko for kosher and sup for supervisors Michosup.com and find this month's featured products you'll find michigan k products wherever fine food is sold especially at natural food patch on west nine mile road in ferndale Hey, here. you're listening to the Jewish Hour. As we said at the beginning of the program, we did have a request. person is anonymous. said pointed out to me that this next week will be the 10th anniversary of the passing of Moshe Yes, of the famous Magama group. And we haven't played a whole lot of Moshe Yes in the course of this show because Megama broke up, I don't know, they were popular in the seventies and Mukshigas went out on his own afterwards was the early eighties and we didn't start the show until the nineties. So they were really weren't around. So we haven't played a whole lot. But they requested could we play his signature piece, which is Zaidi, which means my grandfather.
1: home. He used to laugh, he put me on his knee And he spoke about his life in Poland He spoke but with a bitter memory And he spoke about the soldiers who would beat him They laughed at him, they tore his long black coat He spoke about a synagogue That they burnt down And the crying that was heard Beneath the smoke But Sadie made us laugh Sadie made us sing And Sadie made a kiddish Friday night And Sadie, oh my Sadie went by, and many summers came along, and now my children sit in front of me, and who will be the Zadie of my children, who will be their Zadie, if not me? Sadie of my children, who will be their Sadie if.
2: Yes. Speaking of yes, yes, this is the portion of Va'era can be found in Exodus chapter six. The opening is really one of my favorite interchanges between Moses and God. And it really shows an indication of how we should be leading our lives. What's the deal? We left off last week. Moses was told by God, go to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And God said that he's going to say no. So comes now, he comes to, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And not only am I not letting him go, I'm making their lives more miserable. So now Moses comes out and everybody hates him. So Moses goes back to God and says, I told you it wasn't going to work. I quit. God says, what, "What's your problem?" He says, "This is this is this is not called for." He says, "Look, look at Abraham. Abraham got thrown into a furnace and walked out. Did he quit? No. Isaac got bound for slaughter. Did he quit? No. Jacob." If you look at him, you see what a miserable life he led, led from the time like in the womb already, fighting with his brother and then the whole battle with the birthright and stealing the blessings and then having to live with Laban and then coming back with the brother and then the Joseph getting stolen over there. So, I mean, did Jacob quit? No. And, so, and look what they got out of the deal. What did they get out of it? What did they get for all their working? They got, it says it in this week's portion, they got to talk to me with Kael Shakai, which are two names of God, which happened to be two lower revelations of God. God says to Moses, the burning bush. the first thing you do is ask me, what's my name? Like it makes a difference. What's my name? And what name does God show him? He shows him the, the, the highest name of God. You get, the, you get it full jets. And the first thing that happens is you say, I quit. And I said at the onset that I didn't want him to say, okay, go ahead. Because what kind of story is it going to be? What would the book of Exodus look like if Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God said, let the Jews go, and Pharaoh said, okay, and that was that. What kind of book is that? So he said, no, I promised Abraham that there's going to be like a big dam over here, 10 plagues, they're going to go out with pomp and circumstance, this is going to be a whole big deal. So where's this going with us? This is not, we don't we do not do the trivia thing. That's not us. Even though at Jewish Ferndale, we will be doing a Jewish trivia night. We're having a non-Super Bowl party on the night of the Super Bowl, which I think is uh, September uh, February 4th, if I'm not mistaken, at 7 o'clock. And you don't have to have any great knowledge. We have great prizes and whatnot. But Jew- Judaism is not trivia. You know, and of course, there'll be snacks and games, but there won't be a Super Bowl. It's for all those people who really Don't care about the Super Bowl. Judaism's not into trivia. Judaism's not into it. We are historical. I mean, it says that we have very great care of our history when we preserve our history and we learn from our history. That's the main thing. So here it is. We are confronted daily. Okay? Just, I mean, look at the weather. I mean, who wants to go outside? When the real feel, forget about the number. We really don't need to worry about what the number is. Okay. When you walk outside and it says, the man is telling you, the real feel, it feels like 25 degrees below zero Fahrenheit, which any way you spell that is cold. It really is. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to get out of bed. I just want to stay here and stay warm and toasty and drink cocoa and whatever it is. No. Almighty says, listen, there's going to be challenges in your life, but the really good thing is that when you get over the challenge, you're now a stronger, better, accomplished individual. And just sitting back and drinking cocoa is not going to do it. You know, we all like to do that. I'd like to have like a Sunday. It's my ideal Sunday is like I kind of sleep in a little late. I'm sitting there in my bathrobe. I got a copy of the New York times, a cup of coffee, maybe a stack of pancakes that my wife made me. Um, do you know how many times I've done that? I'm married 35 years. Not once because Sunday is my busiest day between the radio show and teaching and running around and koshering factories, getting, getting these factories that are ready for the week to be up and running. I am running from without exaggeration, 5:30 in the morning, until midnight on Sunday. It's my busiest day. So there's no pancakes for me. But I would like. So we can't always have what we would like, but we always get what's best for us. And the Almighty really knows what really is the best thing for the world. We're going with the flow. We really don't even have to jump so high. Okay? Our lives are not like running over hurdles. It's more kind of like hanging onto a surfboard that we know how to surf. I've never been on a surfboard, but I can imagine you really don't have to like jump a whole lot. You just got to kind of like go with the flow. Okay. It goes up. It goes down. It looks a little, maybe a little hairy, a little scary. Like uh, It's all good. The shore is right in front of you. That's one of those rules I teach in surfing is just keep the shore in front of you and you'll get there. And that's really what the almighty wants of us. Just one day at a time. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of The Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep The Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax deductible donation to The Jewish Hour, 1725
0: Pinecrest Drive. Ferndale, Michigan, 48220.
2: That's 1725 Pinecrest Tribe, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Marshall Finman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? RabbiFinman.com. You'll be able to, right on the homepage, you'll be able to contact me. I went to a book publisher uh, the beginning of the week to request a book. There was no way to contact these people. It's like, how am I supposed to know what? <laughs> it just didn't exist. You know, so I had to call up the the phone number that they had over there. And I had to ask them, who's your person? And can I have a number? Can I have a, a, an email? It was, it was really a big hassle. But Rabbi Finman, no hassles. Right there, you'll be able to contact me. You'll also have archived editions of the radio show, the e partial u partial Hasidic Youth Story, all there for you to enjoy. There's also the donations page. I must comment. I am uh, duly humbled that after my appeal last week, when I said that we only had two months left, and uh, now, uh, then I said, but it'll be three months next week, and I stopped and said, but that's next week. We're still in December. Right now, in December, we're two months behind. We had November and December, but... It's December 31st. Tomorrow will be three months. Okay? I'm very happy and humbled to report that the Jewish Hour is only two months. November was paid for this week. I was amazed at people's generosity, people getting getting their donations in on RabbiFinman.com and sending the money to, to, to Jewish Ferndale at the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Really very much appreciated. And for those who haven't, I can't ask those people who really stepped up to the plate last week, but I know there are people out there, and you may be one of them, that didn't step up last week. Okay, that's good. Listen, I got nothing to say. You have your reason. Whatever it is, you didn't need the tax donation, deduction. That's fine. It's a new week. You're listening. You want the show to continue. Go to rabbifinman.com, Make that donation today. I want to spend a half a minute talking about what's happening up in Jewish Ferndale, 1725 Pinecats Drive. Now you can know it because we have this 13-foot menorah on the lawn, and you can uh, see it from four blocks away. We've got some things coming up. On uh, First of all, on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, we're having a mommy and me. You have to be a mommy, and you have to have a me, Okay, which means me is anybody under four years old. So if you're under four years old, you're Jewish. And you live within the sound of my voice and can make it to 1725 Pinecrest. So this is, a, this is a group. They get together once a month. They had, it's a very successful group. There's arts and crafts for the kids. There's crafting for the mommies. There's coffee clutching, of course, and snacks and treats. It's just a real wonderful time. It's really very heartwarming to see this group, Mommy and Me. That's this coming Tuesday at 1030 till noon and please park in the Jewish Ferndale parking lot. We didn't we don't have that parking lot so people can park around the corner especially with this weather. It'll be warmer. It'll be 27 degrees. Wow. <laughs> Then, uh, of course, every Wednesday night now is yoga for women only. This is at 6.30 p.m. taught by Karen Small, who is a wonderful teacher. My wife tells her it's kosher, so it it doesn't matter what your religiosity is. Even if you're a very religious woman, you can partake of the benefits of yoga at Jewish Ferndale. Big things coming up. Well, we mentioned this, the Un Super Bowl party in February, but at the end of the month, uh, we're participating in the the Jewish, excuse me, in the Ferndale Blues Festival. Put this on your calendar. That would be January 28th and February 1st at 8 o'clock. January 1st, we're featuring David Neffish and Ethan Davidson. And uh, February 1st, we're featuring a Jewish story core where people will come and tell stories. If you had a story, we're still looking for one more person. Get in touch with me on RabbiFinman.com, and uh, my wife will uh, go through your story. And it's backed by the Saul Anthony Ensemble, since it is blue. So if it's a little bit somber, we can have somebody playing do-do-do-do, boom, boom, as you're telling your story. It's going to be way cool. Okay, anyway, um, that's going to do it for the show. We want to thank you so much for tuning in. The uh, the Alter Ebbas Yurtzeit, his passing is, this uh, celebrated Thursday night, just to mention it, and and passing. And uh, one of his, his main goal was that the divine presence be felt down here, in whatever way, shape, or form a person happens to be able to do that. So make this week a good one. We'll see you back again next week.
1: Take care. al uvecha,